Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. Today's speaker is Gordon Sarkoski, and his message is titled, Jesus Messes With My Price Tags. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. It's great to be back in Bakersfield. Appreciate the warmth of this congregation and the way I always sense the, uh, the welcoming and the, uh, the graciousness of uh, all the people here. So it's really good to be back. Had a great time, as Carrie mentioned yesterday with the, and the day before, with the, many of the men of the church. We had a great time together, and we're thankful for that. I want to talk to you today about price tags. Uh, I read in the news recently about two cases of price tag switching that intrigued me quite a bit. There's a case of a woman who... Uh, um, I believe this is in Florida, at a Walmart in Florida. Uh, she went into a Walmart in Florida and took the, with a friend, took the price tags off of uh, a computer and uh, video game controllers and other merchandise. The tags for all the merchandise together totaled uh, about $1,800 worth of merchandise. That's what it was priced at. Well, she covered up the barcodes and replace the barcodes with stickers from less expensive items so that it would ring up much more cheaply than $1,800. The problem is she chose to place barcodes on this computer, video game controllers, and other merchandise. The grand total of this purchase was $3.70. Now, somebody got suspicious, and she got arrested, okay? So that's no surprise. I'm not sure what she was thinking about, but she was in some trouble because of that. In another case in Minnesota, a former Miss America bought... $5,500 worth of clothes, brought them home and switched and took the price tags off of the new clothes and put the price tags on her existing clothes, brought the existing clothes to the store and got $5,500 in cash back. Uh, The problem is that somebody noticed that the clothes were a bit worn and stained and she got in some trouble and she's now on probation and uh, uh, had some trouble because of that. Now, people switched price tags there unrighteously, foolishly, and sinfully. I'm going to argue today that Jesus switches the price tags of our life. He invades the heart house of our individual lives when we come to him, and he switches price tags on what you think is valuable, what you think is good, what you think is important. And everybody gets surprised by this. If you're a Christian here today, you know very well as you read the scriptures, as you Uh, as you pray and as you consider what the Lord has for us, it's surprising sometimes that what he says is valuable, what he says is good, and what he says is important does not square with the world. Here's my primary point, the big idea. Uh, Jesus shocks everyone, even his closest followers, and Jesus delights in what the world despises. Jesus shocks everyone, even his closest followers, and he delights in what the world despises. We're going to be looking at uh, Mark chapter 8. So you might want to turn in your Bibles if you have a Bible with you. I hope you do. Given that this is Vanguard Bible Church, turn to Mark chapter 8. Jesus is going to say some shocking things here. I want to set this up a little bit for us. Uh, Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, as Mark describes uh, what Jesus has been up to with his disciples, he's been healing people, he's been teaching, he's been Uh, doing miracles, making bread multiply. He's been arguing with the Pharisees, the religious leaders. He's been explaining 
to his disciples what he's talking about, and frankly, he's been frustrated with his disciples that they aren't getting it. If we look a little bit above Mark 8.27, we're going to start Mark 8.27, but I want to just describe this a little bit. Jesus is frustrated because in Mark 8.14, they talk about having forgotten to bring bread to eat, and Jesus says, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of King Herod. And they thought Jesus was talking about literal leaven for bread. And he's wondering, why aren't you getting this? Why aren't you getting this? He asks eight questions in that section. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no no bread? Don't you understand? Are your hearts hardened? That's the second time in in Mark 6. He says, are your hearts hardened? Don't you understand? Can't you get what I'm trying to teach you? He's frustrated with his best followers, his closest followers. Don't you hear, he said. He's got eight questions. Don't you remember? Don't you remember what I've done? And then he reviews what he's done, and they they answer his questions. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Don't you yet understand? So he's going to go from speaking in parables and in metaphors, and he says, I'm going to speak to you in plain language. That's what we're going to face in Mark 8, starting in verse 27. We'll go to uh, 8. 38, 27 through 38 of Mark 8. First, let me pray. Father, this is a beautiful morning. Your mercies are new every morning. We're very grateful, Lord. We're thankful for this congregation. Uh, Most of all, Lord, we're thankful that you've given us the opportunity to gather here uh, to worship you, to enjoy time with you, other brothers and sisters, to share the gospel, to share your word together, and to worship. Lord, I pray that you would guard my mouth, uh, that you would help me to speak rightly your word, and that people would have soft hearts to hear what you have to tell us today. We thank you for your many gifts to us. We ask this in the name of our great Savior, Jesus. Amen. Mark 8, starting in verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will a son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father, with the holy angels. 
So Jesus is walking on the road with his disciples. You can picture him. Dirty, dusty road on the way to this area of Caesarea Philippi. And as they're walking along the dirty, dusty road, dry, and he's frustrated, and he's been teaching, and he's been pouring out his life in many arenas with many types of people, he decides to ask a question, who do people say that I am? And they, many of his 12 disciples, evidently answered various ways. John the Baptist, who was dead by this point, remember King Herod had beheaded him at the behest of his wife. John the Baptist resurrected, others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. You can see this repeated earlier in Mark uh, chapter 6 where King Herod uh, was hearing about the famous Jesus and he thought that he was John the Baptist resurrected. And others are saying Elijah in Mark 6 and the same thing they're saying here. One of the prophets, they're misidentifying him in other words. He wasn't John the Baptist, he wasn't Elijah the prophet, and he wasn't another prophet. He was different from all those people. Those are good men, but he was different from them. But then he asks them in verse 29, who do you say that I am? And that's the core question of life, isn't it? Who do you say that I am? Who do you individually say that Jesus is? And who do I say that he is? Uh, in this world, in these days, uh, if you're known as a Christian, oftentimes you'll be ridiculed, you'll be called names, you'll be told that you're foolish, and I can't believe you're so stupid to be a Christian, and all these horrible things people say about you, they feel so free to attack. Now, I have a suggestion for you. When people attack Christianity, they attack you for having this faith that we call Christianity. You might want to ask them, well, who do you say that Jesus is? Because that's the core question of life, isn't it? If you get this wrong, you get everything wrong. If you get this wrong, you lose everything. You can gain everything this world has to offer. But if you get wrong, the identity of who Jesus is, you lose everything. So my suggestion to you is to get the person to tell you who they think Jesus is. And by what source do you decide who Jesus is? What information do you miss or ma'am or sir? Uh, what information is your source? Where do you get your source about who Jesus is? I'll tell you where I get my source and explain to them your faith. The core question of life, Jesus cuts right to it. Who do you say that I am, disciples? And Peter said, rightly, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the prophet, the priest, the king. That's what the Messiah was to be, a prophet, a priest, a king, a perfect one, fulfilling all three of those offices perfectly, and Jesus fulfilled those offices. Now, the problem is that the Jewish people expected the prophet, the one who speaks for God, directly from God, the words of God, the prophet, and the king, the one who would rule over the earth, they expected the Messiah to be the king. What they didn't expect is that the, the priest role would be perfectly led and lived by Christ. The priest, the one who was the mediator between God and man, the one who would sacrifice his life as Jesus did, die and then rise again and return in victory. The Jews were expecting one arrival, one advent. We expect two advents, and we are going to get two advents. The first advent is described here in the New Testament. The second advent is described when he returns again to judge the earth. The Jews were not ready for that. They expected one arrival of the Messiah. They are going to get two. So when Peter said he is the Christ... Jesus said in verse 30, he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Why? Why would he tell them strictly, not casually? He said, you just, just do not tell anyone that I am the Christ. 
I'll tell you why, because they were going to make him king. In John uh, uh, 6.15, Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. And so Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. He didn't, it wasn't his time to be king. It wasn't his time to be king. He rejected the office of earthly king at this point in his earthly ministry. He had to die first. He had to exercise his ministry, die, and then three days later rise again. So he kept telling the people, the Jewish people, not to tell anyone who he was or what he was doing, but they ignored him. Over and over in Mark, when you see him doing a miracle for the Jewish people, he says, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, but they did. There was a frenzy over Jesus by this time in his ministry, just a frenzy. People were absolutely focused on him and making him king. But it wasn't his time yet. He wasn't willing at this point. It wasn't fulfilled. The scriptures were not fulfilled. Verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's an interesting term, Son of Man, by the way. The Son of Man was used nine times in the Gospel of Mark, nine times. It refers to his human nature, but his divine power. His divine nature is human nature, and his divine power, God in human flesh. He referred to himself as the Son of Man. And there's also a reference in uh, the book of Daniel about the Son of Man. But the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. No metaphors, uh, no parables, uh, uh, illustrating a, a, a very important truth by a simple story. None of the parables, no metaphors, no figures of speech. He said it plainly. Here's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, the Jewish leaders, and they're going to kill me. And then I'm going to rise again. He said it plainly. Now, this shocked his followers. This absolutely shocked his followers. But Jesus relentlessly wrecks opposition. He relentlessly wrecks opposition, and he explains to them what he's doing. You know, I was born and raised in Chicago, in the south side of Chicago. And um, where I was raised, in my home, in my family, there was Polish food, Polish music, uh, Polish dancing, Polish language, uh, Polish vodka. Can I say vodka in church? There was Polish vodka. And so we were very proud to be Polish. Do you know that in Chicago? Chicago has the highest uh, uh, number of Polish people in the, in the world except for Warsaw, Poland. Chicago is a very, very heavily populated uh, uh, area of Poles. Well, my mom died. She went to home to be with the Lord 11 years ago. And um, shortly before her, he, she died, she called me into her room. And she was laying there, and she had cancer. And... She was laying there, it was among her last days, and she said, Gordon, I have something I need to tell you. I said, okay, what is it you need to tell me? Come closer. So I, and she said, I think we're German. <laughs> and I immediately re resorted to a 10-year-old boy. I said, Mom, German, Polish food, Polish music, Polish language, Polish vodka, Polish, 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 Polish. We're German? Kolachkis, Golumpkis, Pierogis. German, it was that was precisely what the, Jew, what the apostles, the disciples felt. A shocking revelation. They did not understand. That is what they felt. But he said it plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He began to rebuke him, and he... he uh, um, it's not described here, but in Matthew uh, uh, 16, it's described in more detail. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus, and he said, 
Far be it from you, Lord. Or in other words, may God be merciful to you, Lord Jesus. Are you? Wow. <laughs> now, I want you to recognize Peter was just the one who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak the right words that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Messiah. Peter spoke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, that God revealed it to him that he was the Messiah. And then very shortly thereafter, he's saying, um, far be it from you, Lord, you're not going to have this happen to you. There is no way. This will never happen to you. May God be merciful to you, Lord. I want to suggest to you that just because you know Jesus doesn't mean you're always consistently walking and speaking for Jesus. You better be careful what you are saying about Jesus. You can be saying perfectly righteous things about Christ in one minute, and then later on in the day, you can be speaking for the evil one himself. Uh, David prayed, keep me away from presumptuous sins, uh, presumptuous sins, casual sins, things that I want to do in my flesh that I feel like doing. Very casual. And so Peter falls into this trap, into this problem, and Jesus rebukes him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And in Matthew uh, 16, again, a little more detail, he says, um, get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me or a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Setting your mind on the things of God is the goal but Peter, interested in fleshly things, was so surprised, along with the other disciples, that he was setting his mind on the things of man, not on the things of God. So Jesus essentially yells at him. He essentially yells at him and rebukes him very, very severely. And he, he, um, um, he then begins to set new price tags. He, it's like he goes into the, the, the heart house of each of us, and he says, you think this is valuable? Before you knew me, you thought that was valuable. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to take this thing that you call valuable. Let's say it's your position at work. Uh, you think that's worth $100,000. I'm saying to you, right now in your life, your position at work is worth about 10 bucks. What? Yeah, it's about 10 bucks. You know why? Because you don't speak for me. Because you're afraid of people. Because you're not really following hard after me. You're, uh, you're interested more in the things of man. You're a hindrance to my work. And let me go into this room of your house, Gordon, I'll use myself, and you think this is valuable, you think this is uh, really important to me. It's important to you. It's not important to me. You say it's worth $50,000, I say it's worth $30. Um, you think your physical health or your, your physical well-being or how you look or whatever it might be, you think that's really valuable. I'm saying to you it's not very valuable at all. I'll tell you what's valuable. And he describes... In your heart house, as you read his word, as you consider what he's saying you know, about life, his values are not my natural values. So he begins to change the price, and he's going to teach them some of these things. So he calls to him the crowd with his disciples. This is not just for the believers. This is for the disciples, those who are closely following him, the 12, and also for everyone else around. Remember, there's a frenzy around Jesus at this point. He calls everyone, everyone around him and says to all of them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? If anyone, anyone would come after me. You want me? 
you want what I can give you, you want healing, you want free food, you want this, you want that, you want that. If you want to come after me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. He, you know he's going to take up his cross. Now, what's the cross? What is, what is the denying of yourself? Well, he just talked about some of these things from within, things from within that we need to deny. There are things from outside that come in and influence our lives, things from people that come in that want to influence our lives away from Christ and his interests and his economy, but there's also things that come up from within. And he describes those earlier in the, in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. I'm not making this up. Things that come from within. This is from Mark 7, uh, verse 21. Uh, out of the heart of man. This comes out of each of us in our flesh. Evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, not just physical killing of someone, but murdering a person's reputation, saying evil about a person, making up stories about a person, trying to destroy a person. That comes from the evil heart from within. Murder, adultery, coveting. I want what you have. I want what that person has for myself. Wickedness, deceit, pretending to be what you are not, uh, deceiving someone to believe something that's false to your own advantage, sensuality, physicality, uh, envy. Not only do I want what you have, but I don't want you to have it either. I want to have what you have, and I envy you for it. Slander, things that come out of our mouths, mouths to destroy and hurt a person. Pride, look at me, look at me, aren't I a good boy? Look at me, I'm great, and you're not, by the way. Foolishness as opposed to wisdom. And what was wisdom in the Hebrew mind, in the Jewish mind. It was skill for living, rightly understanding what God says and applying it rightly to life. That's wisdom. That's biblical wisdom. It's not intelligence or smarts or the ability, ability to figure out a, a problem, a philosophical issue. It's simply understanding God's word and applying it to life so you make smart decisions, wise decisions. That's biblical wisdom, simply skill for living. So those are the things... Um, uh, that you have to deny in yourself that comes out of you. And we know as Christians that fight does not end just because you became a Christian. That fight goes on. That fight goes on. We have three enemies, according to Ephesians 4, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, outside, the flesh, what's in me, and the devil, the outside influencer, the evil one, the enemy of your soul. you want to follow Christ, if you want to come after him, you have to deny these things, fight these things as, as Paul said in Romans, oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, this constant battle I have against myself. But you deny yourself and then also you take up your cross and you follow him. What's your cross? What's the cross you bear? Uh, is it um, a person at work who hates you? because you're a follower of Christ? Is it the person that you run into who, who calls you names because you love Jesus? Um, is it a, a relative who you grieve for because that person is so hostile to things of our faith? Whatever it might be, is it that you have to sacrifice something because people don't want you to thrive because they don't like Jesus and so they don't like you? But if you want Jesus, it's not, it should not be because of what he can do for you as these people who were following him because he was healing and he was feeding them and doing all these marvelous things. And he was brilliantly smart, of course, always destroying uh, the arguments of his enemies. So he relentlessly um, wrecks opposition. But look at verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. 
You want to save yourself? Save yourself, protect yourself. Protect yourself from opposition. Protect yourself from standing for Christ. Protect yourself from being different. We are very different. As Christians, we're supposed to be very different. As Christians, you want to save yourself that kind of pain. But if you want to save yourself, you're not in a good place with the Lord. Um, As the Lord himself said here, um, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. Uh, unbelievers will be most interested in saving themselves and in preserving their own protection and their own happiness, their own satisfactions. Uh, They'll be most interested in doing that, and sometimes we can fall into that as well. But if you don't change that, it may be evidence of unbelief, actually, that you're not really a believer. Now, the encouragement here is that even if you fall into a bad season, uh, you can get dusted off, stand up, get dusted off, and Jesus uh, uh, gives you strength to carry on. Whoever would save his life as the focal point of my concern is my life, what I want. You're going to lose it eternally. It's what Jesus called the second death. You die once physically, and then you die once forever in your spirit, the second death. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. My sake, uh, his honor, what pleases him. Taking the values of your heart house that he switches the price tags on and says, this is what I think about the value of that. Here's what I think about the value of this. Here's what the value I say is this. Uh, Are you willing to live this way? Are you willing to live this way? And if you are, uh, that's a good sign um, because you've lost your life for his sake. What he wants is what you want. That's a changed life. If you come to Christ and nothing is different, that's a real problem. If you come to Christ and think you're a Christian and nothing has changed in your life, that's a serious issue. But you should be encouraged today because you should be able to look back at what you were and say, I'm not what I was. I'm thankful to God I'm not what I was. I'm not what I want to be, but I'm really glad I was. I'm not what I used to be. That's the heart of a Christian. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, um, uh, God coming down as a human being, living a perfect life, healing, doing miraculous wonders, Uh, being persecuted, suffering, dying on the cross in payment for our sins, and then rising again after three days in resurrection power, overcoming the effects of sin for our benefit, and then uh, ascending into heaven and then promising to come back to judge the world. That's the gospel. And if you lose your life for the sake of the gospel, you're in a good place. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Now, Verse 36, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? In other words, he says, um, um, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it, as he said earlier. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For, in, 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 uh, in uh, support of what he just said, he says, what does it profit a man if you gain everything this world has to offer and then you die? What profit is that? Now, that's actually, um, that's one of my life verses. It's one of my life verses. I came to Christ in my late 20s, and I was a flaming pagan. I, I just was. I'm, I'm, a, I'm sorry to say. I look back on what I was and, and how God um, transformed my life. Um, it was a three-year process for me of, of God uh, taking me and grabbing me and, and pushing me around and, and invading my heart house. Um, and finally, I, I, I don't know how I got this verse, but I remembered saying this verse to the pastor who led me to Christ. And I, I was desperately desiring to know Jesus, but I didn't. And I didn't know how to get to know him personally so that 
I could be one of his. And I quoted this verse to the pastor before I was even a Christian. And I'm not quite sure how I, how I knew that, but I remember saying that to him. And he said, you just quoted that verse. And I said, well, I guess I did. And I, what does it, it, look, what I was chasing was, and I, I think this is probably the story of most of you or many of you who came to Christ later. You looked at your life and you said, I'm chasing this, I'm chasing that. My values are not his values. I want this. I was really into my career. I really thought I could be great at this and great at that. And I found that it really didn't add up. It just didn't add up. It wasn't what I expected. And as I chased that, I got to thinking, even if I achieve the pinnacle of what I think I want in my career, it's not good enough. I'm going to die. And when I die, what good is it going to be if I have the career, you know, the position, and then I have, you name it. You know what it is. You name it. Everything this world can offer. If I have it and I'm dead, is that coming with me? Well, no. And it resonated in my mind and my heart. What does it profit me if I gained everything that I had designs on and I forfeit my life, my spiritual life forever? I'm not taking any of my stuff with me. I'm not taking my position with me. I'm not taking any of it. My kids, my wife, nothing's coming with me. I'm going to be there by myself. What good is it? That's my life verse. So the core question, who do you say Jesus is? And the second core question, what does it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world and forfeit his life, to give it up. It doesn't profit him anything. He sets new price tags. Jesus sets new price tags. You know, that's offensive. I really appreciate what C.S. Lewis said about, about the relationship that we have in Christ. You all are familiar with C.S. Lewis, the British author, and, and uh, um, really not, he was a theologian, but he wasn't a trained theologian, but he was a brilliant man, loved the Lord later in life. And he says this about, about the relationship that we have with Christ and unbelievers and how we are to speak. But he said this in his book called The Business of Heaven. He says, speak about beauty, truth, and goodness, or about a God who is the indwelling of those three, beauty, truth, and goodness, and you will command friendly interest. Oh, let's talk about that. I find God in the woods. I find God when I'm swimming. I find God in the Beatles. I mean, you name it. You name it. You name the pop star. You name whoever is popular today. I find God there's beauty, truth, and goodness. You'll command friendly interest. But the temperature drops. As soon as you mention a God, the God, who has purposes and performs particular actions, one who does one thing and not another, a concrete, choosing, commanding, prohibiting God, with a determinate character, people become embarrassed or they become angry. Have you seen that? People becoming embarrassed or they become angry. Who do you think you are? Are you judging me? Who do you think you are? You're just one of those stupid, ignorant Christians, aren't you? Well, yeah, I guess so. But that's okay. You know, Jesus softens a hard heart. He relentlessly wrecks opposition. He sets new price tags. What will it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Or, uh, verse 37, for what can a man give in return for his life? What's it worth? If, if someone offered you everything your heart's desiring today, everything, you, you know what I'm talking about, the world, what the world says is important, the position, the power, the money, for men, it's maybe the women, the marriage partner, the whatever, you name it. What 
What will you give in return for your eternal, eternal soul? You know, this life goes by so fast, so fast. Nothing is worth it. We, as Christians, are called to abide and remain and remain steadfast in the values that God has placed in our heart house. What he says is valuable, not what I say in my flesh. You fight the things that exist in your own heart, and then you fight the things that are coming in to influence you away from Christ. Carry your cross and follow him. He's already done it. Not that you'll earn salvation, but that you'll be following him in his strength. What does it profit you to gain the whole world forfeit your life? What can man give in return for his life? Verse 38. And this is coming. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Is the generation that we live in today different from the generation Jesus described many, many years ago here? Is this generation largely um, a sinful and adulterous generation? Well, I think it is. I think you'll probably agree with me it is. And it might be getting worse. If you're ashamed of Christ, in this generation, which is so evil... He will be ashamed of you, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he does come in his glory to, to judge the earth. He's going to come in his glory, in the glory of the Father, accompanied by his holy angels, and we don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to say, oh my goodness, I missed my opportunity. We don't want to say, you know, I failed to stand when I should have stood. We don't want to say, my values are not his values. You see, Jesus is going to win with or without me. Uh, Jesus will win with or without me. Now I trust, and I trust this in myself, as I follow Christ daily and seek to follow him daily. Not perfectly, but the direction of life ought to be in that, in that vein. Then I'll be happy when he comes back. If he came back today, even if I don't get to ride my motorcycle back to Chicago, it's okay. I'll be happy to see him. I know I would be. And I'll see People I love, people I've loved and lost, like my mom, uh, people who came before me, people who are alive with me and us today, whom I love and care about. People here. Will you be happy to see him if he were to come today? And are we living in a way uh, that pleases him so that it's on our spiritual record? I call it the, um, uh, the spiritual resume. Uh, what's on your spiritual resume? Um, are you standing with Christ in a difficult situation? Are you willing to take up your cross daily and uh, fight the inward urgings of your own flesh, your own heart's desire? Uh, not in your own strength, but because of relationship with him. We talked this weekend among the men about being and then doing, about being more than you are and then in order to do more than you do. Uh, the Christian life is not about doing, I'm going to do, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. It's about uh, the overflow of who you are, which empowers you to do what you need to do. If you're gritting your teeth in the Christian life and trying to do, 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 but you're famished spiritually, you don't have the power to live the Christian life. You have to abide in Christ. That's what we talked about this weekend with the men. And that's what we need to talk about today. This is what will empower you. Christ wants to empower you to take up his cross and follow him. All we need to do is listen and obey and abide, remain, and look to him for our strength. That'll give us the power to do. So, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at the fight. Uh, 
Don't be surprised at the objections. Don't be surprised at what goes on in your own human heart. It's normal. Don't be surprised when the world is, is uh, despising you or, or making fun of you, whatever it might be. It's, it's normal. Jesus experienced the same thing. And guess what? In the Corinthian church, for example, uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthian people about the foolishness of the cross. Believers way back then when Paul was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said in, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, uh, the word of the cross is folly, foolishness. It's folly to those who are perishing. They're dying and they think it's foolishness. Of course they do because they're on the way to death. They're dying. They think it's foolishness. They're perishing. But to us who are being saved, who know Christ, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who's wise? And he goes on and describes. God doesn't give a rip about how smart we are. He doesn't care. I mean, it took me so long to understand this and to be willing to allow Christ to move into my heart house and to flip the price tags. Just just flip around until I finally said, okay, okay, I get it. I get it now. I invite you to to, uh, guide my life. And and all I ask you, Lord, is to help me to live rightly so I may please you. So that's the point. The the big idea... uh, um, Jesus shocks everyone, us, he shocks everyone, even his closest followers, and he delights in what the world despises. Don't be confused. He perfectly delights in what the world despises. He wants us to live rightly, and he will empower us to do so. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the clarity of your word that as you walked around this earth and, and uh, uh, healed people and multiplied bread and argued with the Pharisees and were, were frustrated yet patient with your disciples and spoke plainly about who you are and, who, and what your job was, uh, we're thankful for the clarity. And Lord, we ask as we walk around this life, tomorrow's coming, Lord, Monday's coming. We're gonna get up and we're gonna go in about our normal day Uh, Get up and go to work, get up and take care of our family, get up and go to school, get up and do whatever you've called us to do at this season of our lives. I pray, each person here, Lord, I pray that they would be willing to allow you to flip the price tags of their lives and give them the strength, I pray, to live in accordance with your values, what you say is important and what you want, to take up the cross daily and to follow you, Lord. I pray all this because we love you we want to follow Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.